Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC's Aaron Katursky. Making his Powerhouse Politics debut, Aaron. It is great to be with you on the day after Election Day. Uh, Our colleague Jonathan Carl is fresh out of the White House where a bizarre, uh, long-winded news conference uh, took place where the president, I think very predictably, uh, declared victory after the election results, maybe unpredictably, started uh, jousting with various individual members of the press. We're going to get to all of that uh, and play some of the exchanges between John and uh, and the president. But, Aaron, let, let's start with this. Now, you anchored our coverage here at ABC News Radio. We were on for about 150 hours, mm. and it felt like there were a storyline for every one of those hours, a lot of twists and turns in this election. And, and it's kind of hard to find a neat distillation, a one-sentence explanation of what happened last night. There's no single narrative, right? You could read the exit polls as a referendum on Trump or not, as all about health care or something else, as all about deep red states versus deep blue states that kind of had some mixing in between. And in the end, divided government is ushered into Washington once again. A divided country giving us this very divided verdict on the question of President Trump. And you could see the sense of ratifying the president's agenda in these red states in Democrat and Democratic senators losing their jobs in states like Indiana and Missouri and North Dakota to very Trumpian challengers, winning the Florida governor's race as well, a very Trumpy candidate there. At the same time, a rejection of the president's agenda in the suburbs across the country of Republicans falling. So many of them that the Democrats are going to control the House of Representatives, which in itself is an absolute sea change, Aaron. And it's one that I'm not convinced, based on what the president said today, the day after, that the president himself is really fully understanding the magnitude of. He said he called Nancy Pelosi, offered congratulations, said he'd even get a few Republicans to back her for speaker if she needed some extra votes, perhaps needling the Democratic caucus. But he is facing a whole new reality in Washington now in terms of of oversight. And Nancy Pelosi said today that she and her caucus would exercise their oversight responsibilities without picking a fight or going looking for a fight. She, She seems to sense that Democratic overreach is a real possibility and a real a real problem for for the Democrats long term. Yeah. And I want to get into all of that. We're going to play some of what uh, Nancy Pelosi, not yet the presumptive House Speaker, done to the votes yet, but she's certainly acting like the leader of the Democrats. We'll play that in a moment. But I, I want to start as a jumping off point some of what, with some of what the president said, uh, where he's handicapping uh, his own performance vis-a-vis the candidates as part of his opening remarks at this uh, at this news conference. We held a large number of campaign rallies with uh, large, large numbers of people going to everyone. To the best of my knowledge, we didn't have a vacant or an empty seat. I'm sure you would have reported it if you spotted one, including 30 rallies in the last 60 days. And we saw the candidates that I supported achieve tremendous success last night. So the president uh, went on to call out some Republicans who put distance between themselves and and uh, and his leadership, uh, calling them out by name, it was one stunning. by one. I've never heard anything like that. As if he had – it was like Festivus at the White House, I heard it said, <laughs> the airing of grievances against Republicans who had either distanced themselves, rejected him totally, declined his endorsement or help, and he ended up calling them out, me a love in Utah, no love. And 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 diss them entirely. And I wonder if that's not a misreading of the results, because these are some more moderate Republicans. And 
had they embraced the president, they may have lost by a larger margin than they did. The fact is that there were there were both types of candidates. There were pro-Trump Republicans who either never got traction or lost in spectacular fashion in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin. The president campaigned in some degree, way, shape, some way, shape or form for all of them. Nevada as well, where Dean Heller decided after being an anti-Trump Republican that he would embrace him. He lost anyway. So there's those sorts of Republicans. Then there's some who did distance themselves and were successful in doing them, and they, they still have a job here the, the next day. But these candidates made the calculation that they, they've been taking the incoming about their association with Trump for a long time. And, and the folks that he named, Peter, people like Peter Roskam, people like Carlos Curbelo, people like Mia Love, they're not on the list of go-to quotes about uh, from Republicans saying bad things about President Trump. For the most part, they've kept their, their mouths shut. Uh, they have spoken up time to time, and they've decided as a part of strategy to try to save their jobs that they would speak up on this. And by the way, Speaker Ryan was very supportive of that strategy. So for the president to call them out, I think, speaks to his mindset on this. Clearly, Aaron, there there is nothing that he's reading in these results as anything other than a reaffirmation of the direction that he's been pushing. He wanted the the referendum on him. He He said it's as if his name was was on the ballot even if it wasn't and and so the the republicans that he supported he said uh, did very well and that if it were not for his campaigning the the blue wave would have prevailed and and it's as if he has now put his stamp on on the republican party and any other republican alternative does not exist and, and i wonder if that's a game changer for a generation it might be and in some of these districts that uh, the republicans lost uh, the suburbs outside big cities like New York and Chicago and also some kind of cities in redder states like Dallas and Houston and Oklahoma City and Kansas City and Salt Lake City. That's a real concern for Republicans if they can't uh, if they can't run on the Trump agenda, they can't run away from the Trump agenda. They're just going to be surrendering that territory over to the blue that Trump puts a stamp for a generation. And, and as for the the broader conversation, Aaron, that brings us to what happens in January when the speaker's gavel goes to the Democrats, when Democrats committee chairmen are armed with subpoenas uh, and new investigations are launched and maybe even Trump's tax returns are part of that. John Carl, our our colleague uh, over at the White House, got one of the first questions of this news conference. And 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 it was trying to drill down on what's going to be a very real question. And I think it was a telling answer or non-answer from the president. Take a listen. He gave me a fair interview the other day, so I might as well ask him a question. All right. Thank you, Mr. President. And picking up there, you told me the other day that you are an open book. So I think I am an open book. So point blank, Democrats go after your tax returns. Will you try to block that or will you allow them to have Well, look, uh, as I've told you, they're under audit. They have been for a long time. They're extremely complex. People wouldn't understand them. So he goes on to talk about the the great lawyers and accountants that that are that are part of that. Um, but then he, he he winds back around. But if I were finished with the audit, I would have an open mind to it. I would say that. But I don't want to do it during the audit. And and really, no lawyer, even from the other side, they say often, not always. But when you're under audit, you don't have you don't subject it to that. You get it done and then you release it. So when that happens, if that happens, I would certainly have an open mind to so, it. So that means if the audit is still on, you will not turn over the tax returns or you'll when, fight to when block it's under it. Audit, no, nobody would. Nobody turns over a return when it's under audit. That's a very telling exchange. And it strikes me, Aaron, that President Trump doesn't realize that that won't be a choice. 
that that subpoena that goes out is legally binding. And you could fight it in court. Sure. You can do what you want on it. But President Trump has never in his life had a boss. He's never been subject to anyone's oversight, anyone's authority other than his own. And for his entire professional career in business as well as now in Washington, he hasn't had anyone who can say, no, you can't do that. No check. No check. And that changes in January when you have committee chairs that are that are armed with the power of legally binding orders that go to the White House. And Democrats have already op- been fairly open about some of the avenues of investigation that they'd like to take, including his taxes. And look, on the one hand, he's right. Very complicated tax <laughs> returns. Uh, but, but, but on the other hand, I'm sure uh, a, a, a House oversight committee could sort it out. They automatically get double the staff, so they'll have plenty of people to start sorting through them. And what might they find and what avenues might uh, they go down? Nancy Pelosi was very cautious in saying they were not going to go looking for a fight. But they're not going to have to go looking very far to, to, to find the president's taxes and just see what's in them. That's a great point, and it is going to be a very relevant point. And, and John got a question a little bit later. And I would, just to, to bridge this for people who didn't watch or listen to the entire news conference, uh, the president spent a lot of time sparring with the press. I, he went after Jim Acosta very personally, very harshly. A, a reporter from PBS, an African-American reporter uh, said that she was asking a racist question. This was about as fired up as I've seen the president uh, with the media in a long time. He at one point said he wanted to strike a different tone and and said he's been forced into this aggressive tone because of the unfair news coverage. But he clearly reverted back to old habits when he took on the press and scolded them for speaking out of turn telling women to sit down, that they were interrupting male colleagues, the the, the, the racist question from the African-American reporter who was asking about the president's own rhetoric. And and that's ground that he wants to yeah. be on, isn't it? I mean, th- th- this, this is what works for him. And he, despite saying that he wants to strike a new tone, I'm not sure he does. Yeah, that is an absolute comfort zone for him. And I think it's a trap for reporters, frankly, to to get into that tit for tat with the president. The president is going to win that battle every time. You go to his campaign rallies, you hear the chants, you realize how this is a political ploy. You become a tool in his arsenal when you get to engage like this. But after all, after this whole back and forth at a very long news conference, uh, uh, John Carl circled back to get to the questions of the of the of some of the campaign rhetoric and wanted to really know is there anything the president did that he wished he could undo given this need for a new tone that he's talking about mr president just a, just a quick follow-up you, you said something about nancy pelosi you said that nancy pelosi she loves our country do you regret some of the things you said during the campaign i mean no. various times you said no. democrats want to put a wrecking ball to our future well, or i believe destroy that. our country i believe that with their current policy they're using a wrecking ball on our country i believe that 100 percent. this would be a wrecking ball but I think there's a compromise somewhere, and I think that could be really good for our country. Okay, how about one more? Do you, Go regret, ahead. The ad? Do you, do you regret the ad that, that you did that was branded as a racist ad, and even Fox no, News wouldn't air it, no. NBC wouldn't air it? Do I regret it? Networks? Yeah. I'm surprised you'd ask me that question. I do not. So that, I think, is a, is a telling uh, series of remarks right there. The president doesn't regret very much, Aaron, as you know. 
Uh, he is um, not prone to ever admitting regret, to, to my knowledge. Uh, but his his kind of prickly answer to that, uh, and talking now about how he's going to have to work with a a new leader in the Democratic Party, is a, is is pretty startling. Uh, he, I don't think is interested in in striking a a new tone, and doesn't seem to to even want to entertain the the notion as if why why should he because he is right where he campaigned the whole caravan fear thing worked for him and and i think he rightly can claim that it may have saved florida entirely for him and and perhaps elsewhere so this is the president you know being who he is on the other hand uh, he has never experienced what is about to come perhaps from from Democrats, and, and I wonder if he's able to comprehend. I mean, he's dealt with the Mueller investigation, and he's sideswiped it by calling it a, a, a witch hunt. Is he going to be able to do that with everything that um, that comes his way? All right, Aaron, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I, I want to play some of what Nancy Pelosi said for some perspective on the other side, whether or not she's the House Speaker. I think it's an interesting listen. We'll be back after the break. You see headlines across your screen all day, but you're busy. What do you need to know? What's actually shaping your world? I'm Brad Milkey from ABC News, and every morning we start here. It was extraordinary for us watching here in Singapore. This is ABC's new daily podcast, a handful of stories, just 20 minutes. Director Comey, thanks for being with us. Newsmakers, smart reporting, taking you straight to the heart of the story. Start here. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. While we were on break, believe it or not, Aaron Katursky is called out for breaking news. So we'll let him get to that. Uh, but I think in the, the broader context, it's interesting to listen to a little bit of Nancy Pelosi and the contrast that she's offering on behalf of Democrats this day after the election. Uh, and uh, she talked a, a little bit about uh, how she how she sees her role here. She isn't next uh, yet the, the, the presumptive House Speaker, but clearly she thinks she's the best choice. Let me just say this in one sentence. I heard the president say I deserve to be the Speaker. I don't think anybody deserves anything. It's not about what you have done. It's what you can do. What you have done in the past speaks to your credentials, but it's about what you can do. And I think I'm the best person to go forward. And uh, I think a, a kind of a quiet lobbying campaign, uh, but uh, but a pretty distinctive one nonetheless from Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and I think she she is a, a particularly potent figure at this moment. She's a controversial figure inside the Democratic Party. She is someone for uh, about whom much is said, uh, not all of it positive. Uh, she's cognizant of what that role is. Uh, and I do think, though, she has the potential to be something of a stabilizing force here. And I think Playing in the contrast of the kind of uh, the kind of tone set by the president in the aftermath, I think what she's talking about in terms of the oversight responsibility that gets pretty interesting. I don't think we'll have any scattershot uh, freelancing in terms of this. We will have a responsibility to honor our oversight responsibilities, and that's the path that we will go down. We again trying to unify our country. Quite a bit there. And remembering the cross pressures that she's going to face inside her own conference, she's going to get intense pressure uh, to to investigate the president, uh, potentially impeach the president, uh, to be using the powers of the subpoena to uh, launch all sorts of different inquiries uh, against the president. And and I, her initial sentiment here, at least, is to temper that, to, to dial it back 
just a notch to to say to the Democrats, let's be sure, let's be certain about the direction that we're going. And I think in light of the, I just say, the chaos from the White House and the word coming in just now on this Wednesday afternoon that uh, the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions, is resigning his post at the request of the president. Uh, The contrast with Democrats is going to be an important one. Uh, Americans on Tuesday, on Election Day, seem to vote for balance. They seem to vote uh, to, to have a check on President Trump, to check on Democrats at times as well. It flows both ways. But I think that's where this moment is bigger than the win or loss column, the moment that Democrats have the keys again. They have some power again after a long time in the political wilderness. They begin to exert that and they have a provocative president, someone that will mix it up and someone who will need and deserve quite a bit of oversight. And how the Democrats conduct themselves could be very much defining in this moment uh, when they're positioned up against the president. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. We appreciate you being with us to wrap this up. Thank you to Aaron Katursky for pinch hitting here. We'll be back soon. Avery Miller, Angie Yak, Trevor Hastings behind the controls. Thanks for listening. Catch us next time on Powerhouse Politics.